Inuyasha is in furry Poland. You don't know what Trigon is? Oh my god. No, why are you surprised? How they're like super OP and like Trigon. Sailor Mars is over here with her psychic <laughs> powers <laughs> and her written Kyoto <laughs> fashion. Bow down, bitch, like all that bullshit. Welcome to Incoherent Geek Shit. I am Ion and today I am not joined by Sari. She has the week off, but fear not. She and her, uh, her rants will be back in the next episode. So uh, definitely look forward to that in two weeks. Sarah will be back for uh, our next episode. But today, as always, it seems like this is our customary thing now. When Sarah is not here, Ion will talk about comic books because I am a comic geek, uh, self-proclaimed lover of all comics. And um, yeah, I, <laughs> I was kind of excited to to talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League, which just came out on HBO Max. And for those of you guys living under a rock, or actually not really under a rock, probably quarantined inside, Justice League got re-cut uh, by Zack Snyder, the original director, uh, after he bowed out, bowed out of the film, I believe in 2016, or towards the tail end. He... Uh, he had to leave due to personal reasons. I'm not going to get into that, but it was uh, very tragic. And uh, Zack Snyder, like any good father, would um, take time away. And so he left the film. And Warner Brothers decided to bring in a new director to help finish up the film. So Zack Snyder shot about maybe like three-fourths of the film. And Joss Whedon was brought in, the guy who directed and brought together the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe into that mega, mega franchise, The Avengers. And uh, Joss Whedon came in, shot some new scenes, reshot some scenes, and kind of added some comedy into it. And the 2017 Justice League film came out to just, it was just atrocious. Like, let's just be honest. Like, I'm not going to fluff around. I've always been straight with you guys. 2017 Justice League was atrocious, one of the worst superhero movies you can probably see. And I'm not just saying it as a fan; I'm saying fundamentally as a as a filmmaker. Like I went to film school; I've, I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours studying the fundamental theories of filmmaking, construction of of shots and things like that. And you know, art wise, I appreciate it. There's certain shots in there that just look like it came out from a comic book, and that's what Zack Snyder does really well. But story-wise, the 2017 cut was atrocious. Like, you, you can't argue that it was a good film at all. Fundamentally, structurally, everything was just horrible about it. And un- unsurprisingly, I would say, unsurprisingly, there was a lot of scenes removed from the 2017 film. And for a long time, a lot of fans out there uh, kind of wondered, was this film really that bad? Or was it because of the studio that it was that bad? And so this whole thing called free the Zack Snyder Cut or hashtag release the Snyder Cut kept like popping up all the time on Twitter. And Warner Brothers caved in and they gave uh, Zack Snyder additional funding, brought him back in and said, hey, you know what? We'll give you, I think, like 30 mil or 40 mil to finish your cut. You know, you can go out there, refilm some shots, add some footage, bring back all the removed footage that Joss Whedon didn't use for the theatrical cut in 2017, and let's put it on HBO Max, our new streaming service. Get some new subs on there that we're launching. We need the subs. And that's exactly what happened. In 2021, in March, we just got the Snyder Snyder cut. So, 
in this episode of Incoherent Key Shit, I will be talking about not only the differences between the two films, but I'm also going to dissect the storylines and also all the geek things in these two films because I watched seven hours of Justice League, literally, essentially, hypothetically, the same film two times back to back in seven hours so you won't have to <laughs> so uh, as always even though sari's not here let's let her uh, give you the, our disclaimer are you tired of podcast ruining plots do you want to feel surprised and excited when encountering twists in a story introducing spoiler alert spoiler alert warns you to avoid this podcast episode until after you've experienced the content it covers with spoiler alert you'll never have your viewing experience ruined ever again spoiler alert is nothing more than a warning and is not responsible for spoiled content yeah she'll be back uh, in our next episode so we have these two films to talk about and i'm gonna distinguish them so this is how i'm going to refer to them the one that came out in theaters in 2017 i'm gonna call it the 17 cut the one that we just watched on hbo max we're gonna call that one the snyder cut the Zack snyder cut so these are the two 17 cut and the snyder cut so before we jump into any of the story changes or dissect what was removed what was added characters that were introduced that weren't in the film i wanted to just talk about the visuals right the the talk about visually the first thing you'll notice and they even gave a little disclaimer uh, before the movie started this film was kept exactly as the director envisioned it should be that's why when you look at it you see black bars on the left and the right side but not at the top and the bottom because it's not a wide aspect ratio. This was this film, and I, I had no idea this was the case, but Justice League was originally shot with a 4x3 aspect ratio instead of a 21 by 9 or any widescreen cinematic um, aspect ratio. And I, I, I didn't know that until this Zack Snyder cut. Apparently, he, he was doing this as a progression, and I read an article about this saying, Man of Steel, they shot it kind of wide, like a traditional... Um, cinematic film would be and then in in um, batman versus superman they got a little taller and then this one they wanted to do four by three so it was something to do with like stylistically telling the progression of how how this universe is going and stuff like that or at least that's how they were explaining it to me initially when i saw this and the first like five ten minutes it was a little jarring for me because i have not seen four by three in a modern film in quite a long time. I think the last one that um, tried to replicate a 4x3 in cinemas was, uh, that I saw in, in, a, in a theater was, I think Black Swan did it. But uh, regardless, I, I could be missing a lot in between, but that was the last one I think I saw. I think that one had 4x3. But um, regardless, uh, I did a little research on it. Apparently, a lot of people actually do think 4x3 looks better in uh, the cinemas. And there was a lot, a lot of decades where 4x3 was the standard aspect ratio. So it isn't like this is a brand new thing. We've seen it. We just haven't seen it often in the last like 10 years. That's why it is a little interesting to see a big budget blockbuster superhero film with a lot of explosions, a lot of action going 4x3 instead of 21x9 or 16x9 or whatever, right? 16x10. So, uh, very interesting. 4x3. If you haven't seen it yet, or if you have, I'm sure you've noticed it. If you haven't noticed it, yeah, you're probably, you're either really distracted or not really paying attention to the screen because you can definitely notice the difference here. Okay, now let's actually jump into the story here because there was a significant 
amount of things that were different here. We went from not only a two-hour film to a four-hour film, so there's two hours of additional stuff in this film, but there were new characters introduced here, new costumes introduced here, new stories, and, and even the motivation of the characters evolved and changed, and that's un freaking precedented for this to happen like it's i've never seen this happen in in my life i don't think anybody has so this film actually has it has film historical presence in it and what i mean by that is yes we've gotten like extended director's cuts and definitive cuts and stuff like that blade runner comes to mind blade runner has had multiple different types of cuts and that's because directors and visionaries with really distinct visions have a very difficult time cutting things out because to them, nothing is fluff. Everything is vital and important. I'll talk about that in a little bit. I don't necessarily think that's the case here in Zack Snyder's Justice League, but Zack Snyder obviously thought a lot of this was very important. Joss Whedon and uh, WB didn't think so, so they cut it down to two hours and remove very important pivotal scenes that dictate some of these characters and storylines. And uh, what happened, now that we do have this film, we got to kind of see what happened in 2017. It turns out a lot of the scenes were actually played out of sequence from, I, I'm assuming, the original script. So Zack Snyder co-penned the uh, script for Justice League. So I assume this the, this this new cut from HBO is actually what the original script should have been or was. So we got to actually understand how the storyline was supposed to flow and we realized 2017's story was really just a mishmash and like a weird... It's a great editing lesson for any film student out there. If you watch this film with the 17 film, you can really see the magic of editing, good editing, and also bad editing because there's a lot of different things here. And now we'll talk about specific scenes in general. Uh, but this is a great film study case. And that's why I think this is also historic because we've never seen something like this. Even in definitive cuts, it's removed scenes, but they are usually in whatever sequence in the script they were supposed to be. In this situation, Justice League 2017 and also the Snyder Cut, Scenes were completely flipped, completely inserted in completely different hours. And uh, it, it's very unique, very unique for sure. And a lot of this was caused because of Ray Fisher's character, Cyborg. And what does that mean? What am I talking about? Well, because of Zack Snyder's cut here, we, re we, we got to see the backstory to Cyborg. So, you know, comic fans already know all of this, you know, how his father saved him, made him into a, a cyborg, hence the name Cyborg. But for general viewers of the film, they probably didn't really know who he was. They kind of knew that he had a dad who was a, a scientist, uh, Silas Stone, but they didn't really like touch too much into it. They know they kind of had like a little friction between the father and son, but really... The way they cut it in the 17 film, there wasn't a lot of backstory. And there wasn't a lot of time. The film was still two hours long. Justice League was not a short film. Two hours is a long runtime as it is in a theatrical showing. So four hours long, we got to explore Cyborg's backstory with not only his father, but we saw Victor's mother in here too. And we saw how the accident happened. The mom died in there. How the mom would cheer for him in, in his uh, college football games, but the father wasn't there, so he grew a resentment. We didn't see any of this in 2017, so it does hammer a lot of the emotion and our connection with these characters. Same thing with The Flash. 
Flash had a little bit of backstory with Iris West. Iris West, his lover, his true love, or whatever you want to call it, he was in this film, and we didn't know it because the scene was cut in the 2017, but it was in the 2017 theatrical cut. However, the scene was filmed by Snyder uh, before he left the project, and uh, we saw that really weird scene. So the scene I'm talking about here with The Flash is... We're, tr- we're trying to get introduced to the character. At least that's what Snyder was intending. And uh, it's just showcasing how Barry Allen uh, didn't really have a job. He's going from like day job to day job and trying to get enough money to buy an education in criminal justice or, or criminal um, investigation stuff so that he can join the police force eventually. And what happened was... The way that they were trying to show his, you know, he's down on his luck is he's applying to be, I guess, a pet walker or something like that in a pet shop. And all of a sudden, a woman walks by and they lock eyes in this really cheesy, dramatic, melodramatic scene. And she walks by, kind of winks at him or, you know, smiles at him and then gets into her car and she's about to drive off, but she, her car won't start. And Barry, in the middle of his interview for this new job, just keeps looking at her. And then there's a huge-ass truck driving by, and the guy's eating a Subway sandwich or something and drops it on the floor. He's trying to pick it up, so his head's down. The fat guy runs a stoplight or something, and uh, it just so happened Miss West starts booting her car and starts driving off, but she doesn't look in the road. She's still looking at Barry Allen, and bad stuff happens because she runs right or, or the truck runs right into her and then lifts her into the air. And that's when we see Barry Allen use his super speed, his flash speed. He runs straight out there. And the way that these films portray super speed and all, all these, all these theatrical movies, the way they portray super speed is they slow down time and they make it so that the only person moving on screen, or at least everybody else is moving like in really, really slow motion that they're barely micro-moving. Only person moving is Barry Allen. And Barry Allen's looking at her eyes while she's in midair, her whole car getting crushed. She's flying. She's going to die. She's going to go a mile away. Slow motion. He brushes her hair, stares into her eyes really creepily while she's basically about to die. And, of course, he wraps her arms down, um, you know, brings her into her his arms, brings her down onto the floor, and then the car flies. Time speeds back up. I don't like how they it, it makes it seem like speedsters control time. They don't. They're just super fast, so they need to do a better job. Of it. I think the Flash TV show does a really good job of that. But this is a different story. Anyway, back to the scene. He has her, drops her on the floor, and then he runs away. Very cringe scene. Uh, I've seen on Twitter at least people are like, "Whoa, this is this is not right. This doesn't seem good." <laughs> it's like uh, he he's a very awkward guy, and he's portrayed as a very awkward guy, which he actually was throughout the film. But this in particular, kind of the whole boundary thing, it's like he had all the power. Time was slowed down for him, so he can touch her however he wanted. At least that's what Twitter was saying. Um, for me, watching that scene, it just felt out of place. I didn't like it. So I understood why WB cut it out. We didn't need that in here, especially for so many things going on in Justice League. You don't need a scene like that to introduce Barry Allen and his superpowers. Uh, I think the Batman scene throwing the Batarang at him and him slowing down shows how his speed works anyway. So I think that one covered it. So we didn't need the scene. So that's why it was cut. But yes, the Flash didn't have necessarily as much backstory. We'll talk about how he became a hero and how they utilized him in the in the new Snyder cut 
compared to the 17 cut because that's drastically different. But back to Cyborg's backstory. Cyborg, on the other hand, drastically, drastically had a lot more screen time in the Snyder cut. Like, I'm not even kidding. Maybe half the film was basically this this Justice League film, the original script was basically a cyborg backstory. Uh, we got to see so much cyborg. The scenes were drawn out longer. Uh, Ray Fisher really went from being probably I would say he should have been like third build. Henry uh, Cavill probably should not have been built second. I think the billing should have been Ben Affleck. He's the star. Gal Gadot was number two. And probably Ray Fisher, to be honest, in, in terms of the importance of the story. Of course, that's not how they had it. They had Henry uh, Cavill because he is being paid a lot. He is Superman. But if you go by importance of the character and the storyline, Ray Fisher's cyborg in the Snyder Cut was drastically, drastically improved. And uh, I can kind of see why he's upset with Warner Brothers. Like, this is significantly different. Something must have happened. Uh, for Whedon to cut out basically the entire cyborg storyline. Um, off the top of my head, I could have cut out a, a few different scenes to make way for at least a little bit more of the cyborg backstory. Uh, but he cut out all of the cyborg backstory. We're talking about literally, I, I don't know the actual like time. I, I didn't actually have a stopwatch timing how much um, screen time cyborg had with his backstory, but I would say maybe like 30 minutes, maybe at least 30 minutes. Um, and you learn a lot about Cyborg and you actually do sympathize with his character and you understand him a little more. And I did like Ray Fisher Cyborg a lot more than in 17. Like I really didn't care for Cyborg at all. Um, I thought he was a very blank character, but the truth is he was not. Uh, and the number one difference is in the 17 film, Silas Stone was kind of just like the whole father character on the side who didn't have time for his son, but we knew he loved his son, and that's why he saved him as a misunderstanding thing, right? And then they kind of resolved that a little bit. In this movie, holy shit, was, was there a context here? Because he dies. Silas Stone sacrifices himself to give his son an opportunity to save the world. That, that Like... You see how drastically different it is? Silas Stone was alive in the 17th film because that entire section was completely cut out. That whole plot point was cut out. The whole, all of that was gone. In the two, in this film right here, the, the HBO Max one, the Snyder Cut, his character completely wraps into a different fundamental characteristic. Like it, It's completely different. It also shapes Cyborg differently, and all the scenes surrounding it had to be altered and changed. So... That's why I'm saying, like, fundamentally, the story was drastically different. And there's no, no clearer explanation, no clearer evidence than Wonder Woman versus Batman. So in the Whedon cut, the 2017 Justice League, there was a scene where um, after after fighting uh, Steppenwolf, the Justice League members come back to the Batcave with one of the Mother Moxes, the one that was on Earth. And the first thing Batman says is, we're going to use this to bring Superman back. We need Superman. The world needs a Superman. And then you got Wonder Woman and the Flash and also Aquaman kind of hesitant about this. They're not into it. And Wonder Woman especially was very vocal. She was like, this wasn't, you know, this is not what he wanted. You can't make these decisions for him and you you got to let him go. It's not your fault. And Batman's like, no, you know, something about Steve Trevor. And, you know, what about you? You're the one who can't let somebody go and you. that's why you went in hiding. 
None of that. None of that was in the HBO Snyder Cut at all or the original script because this is the original script now. And the scene played out completely different. What happened here was when they got back to the Batcave, they huddled up around the table and they had no idea what the mother box was and they kind of had to uh, feed off of one another, all the Justice League members, and they were just chatting like we would if we literally brought something we didn't know. I would be asking my friend, I was asking this guy for a specialty, asking this girl for a specialty, this this guy, this guy, this girl, this blah, 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 right? And that's what they were doing. They're having a discussion. And they came to the conclusion, based off of their knowledge of, of the arts and science and stuff like that, that the mother box was a source of energy. And that's when a light bulb hit all of them. And they were like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And they're like, yeah, it can bring back Superman. And, and that's where uh, Ray Fisher's cyber was like, fundamentally, yes, I think I can do it. It was a team collaborative idea that they thought together to bring back Superman. The Whedon cut made it seem like Batman just came in and said, we're doing this. This is what I thought of. And that's not what happened. And it was so strange because then when they proceeded to go with the plan, they had a shot where Batman was basically crouching over high in the air on like this scaffold thing that he's always on. And then Wonder Woman walks behind him. And this is the Whedon cut. And she was like, she was like right behind him and he, he he doesn't even turn around. He's like, Diana. And before he was able to say anything, she's like, uh, you don't need to say anything. I'm not here. For, I, I'm here for him as in Superman. So it's like she's saying, telling him, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to support him, not you. And I was like, this feels so out of place. I remember watching this in 2017. I was like, this does not make sense at all. What? And, it is one of the strangest scenes there. And it makes so much more sense now because that scene wasn't there. This was a reshoot or additional shot that Whedon had when he joined the uh, joined the film in 2016 or whatever it was. And so on the original script and the Snyder Cut, what happened was Wonder Woman was never up there in that scene. <laughs> she wasn't there. She was actually with... Um, the rest of the guys, Aquaman, uh, Cyborg, and Flash, digging up the grave. In what we saw in 2017, we didn't have that. We had Cyborg and the Flash digging up um, Clark Kent's coffin. And what happened was they had a little scene where Flash and Cyborg were trying to get to know one another and wanted to do a fist bump. That wasn't there. That wasn't here. That scene was actually not there. What that scene in the digging, the digging part was... It was actually more focused on Aquaman. Aquaman and uh, Wonder Woman who were waiting by the car and they were kind of like, oh, so, you know, an Amazonian and a uh, and a um, Atlantean walk into the back of the bar. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like one of those moments and they were kind of joking about that. And it was just the weirdest thing because that made more sense. There's a lot more like team bonding here. And the ironic thing is WB and Whedon they wanted to reshoot. They wanted to add more jokey things and make it more Avenger-ish because they thought it would relate to the audience more and make the team feel more lovable. But their cut didn't do that for me. Actually, this cut did that. Scenes like that actually built like these relationship bonds. That's one thing I loved about Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, uh, the animated shows. Even though the roster was growing and growing and becoming like insurmountably large in justice league unlimited they didn't they didn't forget to dedicate 
short bursts of time to build relationships between B characters and C characters, like Huntress and Question. They dedicated arcs and, and episodes for them to get to know one another. And in one episode, they might be just having a coffee break and you see them talking to one another. That's what I liked about that. And it made you feel like you were part of the team and you kind of see that dynamic there, like you're in the room. Whedon, adding these jokes in and these one-liners didn't really do it here for us. You know, I, I didn't get that here. Of course, I don't really blame him like a lot of people and, and like hardcore geeks do. It was It's a no-win situation for anybody involved in this project because honestly, Justice League should not have been made. This movie should not have been made in the first place. They should have made a cyborg film before doing a team-up film. So they did Man of Steel. I'm even okay with them doing Batman vs. Superman, introducing Wonder Woman, putting the Wonder Woman film out. And then they should have had a cyborg film with his backstory in here, with his first adventure. Throw a villain in there. Let him do something. Let him get out of his shoes a little bit. And then that frees up so much more space for a coherent storyline in Justice League. You can introduce the Flash in Justice League, but when you introduce Cyborg as well and put so much time dedicated to him, it gets very convoluted. There's too many storylines going back. You got the A plot, and then you got the B plot, and then you have a C and a D plot, and then you have like all of a sudden other characters, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, appearing here that didn't appear in the 2017 film. So I do understand why Warner Brothers really need to cut things out, but it was a no-win situation for anybody. This film should never have been made. That Wonder Woman and Batman conflict thing too, that thing was completely removed. Um, And the whole motivation between the two characters were so drastically different. Wonder Woman went from this whole character about having moral rights and, um, you know, not wanting Bruce to be alone and doing things alone. She went from all of that to just being part of the team. And Batman went from this like brooding, like, you know, oh, I have to repent for my sins thing. Like, oh, I, I was the one who drove Superman to his death and I'm going to go out guns a blazing myself. All those things were gone. These two characters were completely different characters and their motivations were completely different in the standard cut in, of course, this original script. Like the whole Batman scene too, where he um, uh, invades North Russia that climactic scene where he goes to fight um, all the towers to kind of knock it down the shield. So he drops off the rest of the heroes outside of the barrier in North Russia and Batman on the helipad or the carrier or whatever that that, uh, plane thing was, which let me rant about that in one second. (laughs) But he breaks in there and then he crashes it. And then that's when he gets on the Batmobile. So that makes a lot more sense. He had to go to plan B because he crashed that, that thing. He didn't intend to crash it. In the I mean, in the 2017 cut, he flew in and then you could see the Batmobile fly out. Uh, so he purposely abandoned the airplane. That wasn't the case here. That wasn't part of the plan. He improvised because he actually crashed it. And that's when he connected with the Justice League and rest of the Justice League after he crashed. And he told them, hey, you got to move on with the plan without me. That was not the intention. Whereas the Whedon cut, it made it seem that he was suicidal. Well, not suicidal. Like he was going to die to protect everybody, to help save everybody. And uh, that's when everybody came in there and said, we're not leaving you behind. All of that was gone. That wasn't part of the the, the the Snyder Cut. In fact, that one-liner from Aquaman who's like, this is your plan, you're going to go kill yourself, that wasn't in the Snyder Cut at all. You know, so 
it, the characters and their dynamics and also their motivations are just so different. It is amazing how we're watching the same film, hypothetically the same scenes, but yet their motivations and their actions are completely different. I've never, never in my life have seen something like this on a professional level. It's pretty crazy. And with more removal stuff, let's also talk quickly about like some of the comedy, right? So all the scenes that Whedon shot for uh, Justice League in his cut were removed. Obviously, Zack Snyder had nothing, nothing to do with Whedon. And it wanted nothing to do with any of his humor and the shots that he he uh, picked up for Warner Brothers. And things like that Batman versus Superman line, I know, I, I remember you. Do you bleed when Superman wakes up and he says that to Batman? None of that was in the film. And then that whole Russian family thing that felt so out of place, you know, um, throughout this whole invasion by um, Steppenwolf in, in Russia, there was a really shabby house with um, a father, mother, brother, and, and, and sister family. And then the sister goes and grabs like this bug spray. All of that was gone. It was all gone. Like the Russian family didn't even exist and it was all for comedic relief, and we didn't really need to see that. I I get what Whedon was doing and, and Warner Bros. was doing. It's a humanizing thing. Heroes need to save people, right? And the truth is there wasn't a lot of human saving in, in Justice League, at least not in Russia. Uh, but we didn't need that. That felt out of place, especially in the 17th at the end. When everything gets resolved, you see the Russian family sitting outside on their truck, and we get a quick pan up and i'm like why do we need this here they're not even main characters like why why do we need this we're wrapping up everybody else in in their background why do we need to see the russian family like i always felt out of place for me and then some other like silly things that were supposed to be funny that just weren't funny like flash falling on wonder woman's boobs that that was gone but that also uh, that also that scene was also a little strange because in the 17 cut the flash <laughs> Okay, this also links into my next point, but we'll, we'll get through this scene first. But the Flash runs back in after uh, helping escort people out uh, from Batman's orders. He comes back in, he sees Wonder Woman falling, and one of the uh, parademons was chasing Wonder Woman right in midair and about to get to her. And she's reaching for a sword in midair, falling. And the Flash runs around and tips the sword back into her hand before tripping and, and stumbling. And she uses the sword, catches it, and kills the parademon. And they both fall on top of one another with the flash falling on her boobs. And then he quickly zooms away and, and he's like blushing, avoiding eye contact. That's a weeding cut thing because that wasn't in the Snyder cut. However, the awkward thing is that whole sword thing, the flash runs and tips the sword. He still tips the sword to Wonder Woman, but there was no parademon coming at her she just grabs the sword and lands and the flash falls on the floor because he trips um when after tipping the sword why did he need to tip the sword to wonder woman when she's not in danger that made no sense at all so that scene was very messy i have no idea what was going on and why they why they did that and people were saying this is great that they removed the whole you know flash falling on top of wonder woman and, and touching the boob thing I, I don't mind. I don't mind that they removed that. That scene was kind of irrelevant in the first place, and it did feel out of place for a film this serious and dark. However, what the hell was up with the coffin thing then? Because later on, when they're digging up Superman, which I mentioned before, 
they were uh, cyborg and flash were digging up and instead of doing the booyah you know um uh fist bump that they did in the 2017 cut because Zack snyder removed it he i guess Zack snyder left this in because he filmed this uh, but he had a scene where Flash and and Ray Fisher's cyborg were digging up Superman, and they were making small talk instead of doing the fist bump. Flash was like, "Oh yeah, dude, Wonder Woman is so hot. Like, do you think he dates? Do you think she dates younger guys? Like, what? What? You took away the scene where he fall he falls on top of her and, and gets shy around her to him digging up Superman, asking Cyborg if." a 1,000 year old woman dates younger guys. (laughs) You you see how that's weird? Like, you know, if we're trying to be progressive here, why was that scene there? It didn't make any sense. You you should, I get following your vision, but that booyah scene with the fist bump and and Cyborg not be like, well, we're not there yet. We can't do the fist bump yet. That scene should have been put instead of the whole dating younger guys. And then you shoot straight to the, Wonder Woman talking with Aquaman in the car scene, and then you bring the casket there. That makes more sense. But, you know, Zack Snyder had to stay true to his own script, and so he kept that. So, you know, just because Whedon shot something, it doesn't mean it's all bad. I know we're all shitting on Whedon now. I'm not going to defend him. You know, as a human being, as a director, as things he did on and off set, I cannot defend him. I don't know the facts. I wasn't there. I'm not one of those people. I'm talking on merit of the storyline and what they were doing in this film, right? So I don't even care who he is. I'm just talking about the director who took over and the director who left. And the director who left decided to use his own scenes. What I'm saying is just because somebody filmed something that they thought was better doesn't mean it's not good because we think it's a bad film. It was a horrible film. 2017, once again, I've said this dozens of times already, it's a horrible, horrible film. But Certain scenes do work, like that one scene with the with fist bump. What didn't work was, oh, does Wonder Woman date younger guys? I, I don't think that works. If you're going to remove him falling on top of Wonder Woman, you also should remove the whole dating with younger guys comment. It, it just didn't make sense. Oh, oh and by the way, the, uh, Snyder also removed Aquaman's confession about how Wonder Woman is, is so beautiful and he's scared of death because he was wrapped with the lasso while they're flying to Russia, that scene was removed. So a lot of this whole like flirting with Wonder Woman thing, that is, it, it's gone, except for that backhanded offshoot comment from The Flash saying, oh, do you date younger guys? Like it, it just doesn't make sense here. But let's deviate because I've been very negative so far. Let's deviate about some geek changes. Like, like Let's talk about some Easter eggs because there's so many great Easter eggs that uh i mean the first justice league movie there was easter eggs like green lantern you know during those flashback scenes talking about the great war we did see some green lanterns and i think there was shazam you know the guy with the lightning ball i i I, they they, they're talking about that as an old god but i kind of feel like that might have been shazam i don't know shazam did come out later as a film so um i did like however that there were a lot more easter eggs for us huge comic geeks uh, Justice League geeks. We'll go through a couple of them. So that ex- there was an extended scene with that prehistory thing. Even though we did see a Green Lantern and they were hinted at, we actually got to see the face of a Green Lantern. And that Green Lantern, as the internet has explored, was Yalon Gur. He's the Green Lantern of Sector, uh, sector 2814, which way precedes Hal Jordan and Albin Sir. But he was uh, basically Earth's protector 
uh, in the Green Lantern um, sectors. And that's kind of cool because this is the actual first time we've seen a Green Lantern in uh, a DC film since Ryan Reynolds' film, which some of us actually thought he was going to be in this film. I, I, I don't know how much traction that gained, but that was kind of cool. I, I love seeing Green Lantern in here. And then uh, Ryan Choi. Ryan Choi was completely cut out of the 2017 film. People don't even know who Ryan Choi is right now, right? If you're, if I'm talking to you and you don't know who Ryan Choi is, I wouldn't blame you. But he was the Asian guy who was um, uh, Cyborg's father's second in command. So Silas Stone's second in command was Ryan Choi working at Star Labs. Ryan Choi, for all you uh, non-comic book readers, is the second Adam who has a super suit who can shrink uh, to the side. He's like basically Ant-Man, DC's version of Ant-Man. And so Ryan Choi was in here. That, that was really cool. Ryan Choi, all his scenes were cut. Every one of those, I guess Ryan Choi was cut because he was part of Cyborg's backstory in a way because he, all his scenes were connected with Silas Stone. So when he's gone, there's no need for Ryan Choi to be in it. Silas Stone's scenes were cut in half anyway, so there's no need for Ryan Choi. But Ryan Choi in the Snyder Cut was here he does become the head of that department in Star Labs at the end because of Silas Stone's death. So it is pretty cool to see uh, supposedly maybe Adam was going to join the Justice League in the future because he made an appearance here. Then uh, there were new Mara scenes with uh, Nudis Vogel, the visor of Atlantis, who we did see in Aquaman. So his scene was actually originally filmed before Aquaman. And uh, he was supposed to appear and make his debut here. As we learned in the Aquaman film, he was the one who taught Aquaman how to be a warrior. He actually went up to the surface and taught young Aquaman uh, about harnessing his powers and, and his uh, her um, heritage and stuff like that. So seeing William Dafoe here in these scenes were pretty interesting because we all knew he shot him. It's just they got all cut out because four hours, two hours, that's two hours of footage that got cut out and they needed to cut out some fluff and that was not essential to the story. So that's why he was gone. That's why. That's what I was saying before. You have three new characters in here, Aquaman, Cyborg, and Flash that didn't appear in any other DC film prior to this, or at least in this franchise. And you have to get some backstory to them. That's three backstories you're trying to cram into a, a supposedly two-hour film. There's no way you can you can fundamentally do it without being very messy. So they should have released Aquaman. They should have released Cyborg prior to a Justice League team-up. It just would have been so much cleaner. I've said this like a couple times now. And then there was, of course, Black Suit Superman. And I... I don't really understand this because they didn't really explain it here. If I wasn't a comic book fan, I would be very confused. But when Superman gets revived, in 2017, he wears his red and blue suit, right? And there was a whole different thing. Uh, this goes back to the whole Wonder Woman versus Batman thing and, and their ideological thing. Batman had a contingency plan. He had Alfred go pick up Lois Lane and bring him. He was the, the big weapon, the secret weapon uh, to stop Clark from going crazy. So in the 2017 film, they use Lois. Batman calls Lois and tells him the plan, and they go off. And then in the farm, at the Kent farm, Lois says, you know, I hate to do this. I wanted you to stay longer, but he needs you. And then that's where Superman's like, I need to go. In this film, none of that existed. So Lois Lane was kind of going through depression, and uh, she ended up going to visit the site of Superman's death. And that just so happens to be where he was being revived. And he comes out here. 
And uh, the same thing happens. She flies. He, he flies off of her, but it wasn't because of Batman. He, she just happened to be there in this right time. And uh, when they get on the farm, he's the one. Superman's the one who tells her, I got to go. They brought me back for a reason, not because they like me. And I need to figure out why. And so he flies off and he uh, sees all his suits. And he, there's a black suit. So he doesn't put on his red and blue suit. He puts on the black suit. They don't explain what the black suit does. They don't explain any of that stuff. They just have him put on a black suit and fly over to see Alfred and go to Russia. Doesn't make sense to anybody who doesn't know anything about comics. If you do know what happened in the comics in the death and revival of Superman, he wears the black suit because he needs to absorb the sunlight. His source of power is Earth's sun, right? So he needs to absorb sunlight. Of course, black absorbs sunlight more than a colored suit so he wears black so that fundamentally makes sense but they didn't explain it in this film so uh it doesn't make sense so he wore the black suit black suit superman makes the appearance in this film a lot of us were excited to see a black suit superman in a theatrical movie and we got that here it's just the payoff wasn't there and then, of course, another character, a significant character that was completely removed because, hypothetically, if there was a part two, he would have been the main villain, Darkseid. Darkseid, 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 the DC equivalent of Thanos, makes his appearance in this film multiple times. It's not just once or twice. He actually has a significant impact in this four-hour film. And you also see Granny Goodness. Granny Goodness makes an appearance in the background when the portal opens from the mother box at the, in the climax. It is, I gotta say, I wasn't like fanboying throughout the film at all. But that one part, I was kind of, I was kind of like a little jumpy. I was like, oh my gosh, at the edge of my seat. That is so epic. That was the invasion scene. They were about to go through the portal and you have Darkseid standing in the center. You're granting goodness on one side and you have this whole army of uh, parademons. And it just felt like, Justice League Unlimited. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. But uh, yeah, Granny Goodness is in there. And I was like, is that Gwendolyn Christie? She kind of looks like Gwendolyn uh, Christie, who uh, is Brianna Tarth in um, in uh, Game of Thrones. Of course, I don't actually think she was. I think it was just a random background actor, but uh, actress. But yeah, I, I love the Dark Side Granny Goodness uh, background cameos. And uh, Darkseid actually has multiple lines. He actually has dialogue. And he is the overarching bad guy here. And they removed all of that in the 2017 film. They made Steppenwolf the guy. And it just... He was a weak villain. He he was never meant to be the main villain. Like, the main, main villain. Like, the way that they had it set up in 2017, his motivations seem very limited. He says Darkseid, I believe, once in the 2017 film, but at least here, it makes a lot of a lot more sense. In the Snyder Cut, his motivation is that he's trying to get back on Darkseid's good graces so he can go back to Apocalypse. He wants to go back home after being exiled and failing all these years and being sealed away. And now, that's what he wants to do. He's desperate to get back on Granny Goodness and everybody's good side so he can go back to serve his master, Darkseid. And uh, none of that was there. His motivation was strictly alien comes, alien wants to get certain things on the planet, kind of like what Avengers did, you know? And it, there's a lot more backstory here. Once again, once again, it sounds like I'm shitting a lot on the 17 film and I do hate that film a lot. But just because I'm saying that the, the Snyder Cut brings a lot more detail out doesn't mean it's a good film. You have to get that through to your head because 
what is going on here is it's just dragging on and on and on and on and on. And they're putting four stories together for four hours. Your four storylines are merging into one long, long, long thing. That's bad writing. That's really bad writing. Writing. You still need to filter out to make a precise storyline. That's why there's so many like story plots and, and side plots. I don't, I've not even, I've, I've been talking for a while now. I still can't cover every little thing that this story was trying to hit because there's way too much, way too much. There's way too many things. Heck, halfway through the film, I already forgot what the first two hours were talking about. It was just so dreary and slow and too much to talk about. And that's the problem with Justice League. It really was. I got a couple more things to discuss, and one of them is the Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter. Wow. So he was in this film. It was rumored that he was in this film because they actually shot the scenes, and they actually shot a new one in 2000, I think it was 19 or 2020, or whenever they decided to do the Snyder Cut, they actually gave Zack Snyder money, and he actually brought back these actors years later to do additional scenes, and we'll talk about the second one that I wanted to talk about last, because that one I think a lot of people will be very excited to, to hear about. But the Martian Manhunter made a made a scene with Lois Lane, where he impersonates um, Martha Kent, tries to talk her out of uh, being depressed and going back to work, and, and then at the end, we find out that he's Martian Manhunter. And then at the very end in the epilogue, we see him go to Batman's really beautiful home. <laughs> One of the most awkward, awkward film scenes. You can completely tell that everything is CG'd and that the, the actors weren't in the same room together because they had Ben Affleck in a single shot. And there were no two shots of them. All the two shots were CGI'd together. And Ben Affleck looks so out of it. Like, wow, I can't believe I'm back four years later doing this. I don't really give a shit right now. <laughs> At least that's how I felt like. He had no expression. The way he's going to explain this is that he was just he just woke up from that nightmare from Apocalypse, which we'll talk about right after this. But scene was really bad. Marsh Manhunter is like, you know Darkseid's coming back. Let me join the Justice League. I'll be here to help you. And that's basically that scene. And it was just, it was, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. But Martian Manhunter being in this film is also very unique because we have Cyborg, we have Flash, we have the Atom, and Martian Manhunter. That's four new comic book superheroes being mishmashed into one film. You know, the Marvel way to do things, Marvel Cinematic Universe way to do things, which is the other precedent we've had, is one movie, you feature one additional hero that you introduce for their own new movie or their own tie-in. And I think that actually works pretty well. That lets people lets people kind of accept what's going on and process that and get excited for it. When you just cram these four new heroes and you ha you're trying to set some background to it, it's very difficult. Martian Manhunter gets nothing here, and he's not supposed to. That's why they removed him in the first place. Same thing with Ryan Choi in the Atom, right? Like, you don't need him. Even the Flash was really cut down to just the father scenes because he had no backstory. Even in the standard cut, he really had no backstory. Um, uh, removing the Iris West scene made it even less. So this this is one of those precedents that I, I don't like. The cameos are really interesting because... We as fans love when they name drop people, love like looking for Easter eggs, but when you process it in a story, it doesn't make sense at all. It really doesn't. Like, There's no need for the Martian Manhunter to be here. Um, 
Deathstroke. <laughs> oh my gosh, let's not. Yeah, Deathstroke and uh, Lex Luthor, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. There was a scene in the action in the 2017. Um, I think they played it at the end credits too. Same scene, almost the same scene, except. Of course, with everything in the Snyder Cut, it's a little longer. We find out Lex Luthor's out of prison on a yacht. He hires Deathstroke to uh, give him some money and also to tell him to kill Batman or, you know, he's supposed to hunt down Batman because he gave him Batman's identity as Bruce Wayne, which, okay, rat alert, every fucking person knows who Batman is. Every fucking person knows who Superman is. Their super secret identities are non-existent. They're the worst it's horrible. Like Batman is real was really good, at least in certain parts of uh, of Canyon, to protect his identity. Everywhere he goes, it's like Bruce Wayne, Batman. The whole Aquaman scene when he's first re- recruiting Batman, uh, Batman's first recruiting Aquaman, he's just shouting Bruce Wayne, Batman. Oh, he's a bat in the cape, Batman, super, uh, yeah, blah 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 blah. Bruce Wayne, Batman. Like anybody with half a ear <laughs> or or half good hearing could hear that Batman is. Bruce Wayne, like, come on, like, that's not even, how is that a threat? Like, am I supposed to feel that Lex Luthor has something dangerous to hurt Batman with because he knows who Bruce Wayne is? Bruce Wayne literally tells everybody who he is. He goes to the Flash's place, throws the thing. Like, he's literally, like, not wearing his costume. He's just there as Bruce Wayne. Like, what? That's not, he's literally actively telling everybody he's Bruce Wayne. But regardless of that, that sets up this weird thing because we jump into the future, the apocalypse future that we got to see in uh, Batman versus Superman with Batman and those goggles and his trench coat, which is kind of cool. I do like that costume. But we see Deathstroke in the same scene as his ally. We didn't see this in the 17 cut because this is a Snyder thing. And this is a brand new scene that Snyder filmed. And we also see Mera. Mera is there because Aquaman's dead. Wonder Woman is dead. And the reason we see, and the reason we know this is because we saw Aquaman and Wonder Woman's funerals in this little montage during this whole like apocalyptic uh, future flashing thing when um, I think it was Cyborg was separating the uh, mother boxes, and the whole thing with this is we have a future where we have Cyborg um, still around, we have Batman who is very disgruntled. And all of a sudden, we have Deathstroke in there. We have Mera in there. We have Flash in his costume with the helmet thing about to travel to the future to warn Batman. And he overjumps it. And he instead makes things worse because he makes Batman worried about Superman killing everybody. And um, the thing is, all of a sudden, then you hear a laughing in the background, like like a really awful laughter, like screeching laughter, which is eerie. I, I do like it. And you see Jared Leto's Joker. So the Joker's alive, and he's also an ally to Batman and all that. And he does this whole like laughing and this whole like monologue of his where he holds out a Joker card, rip this up when you want to break our truce, ha 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 ha. Makes no sense. Batman says, fuck you, kind of thing. <laughs> like, don't you talk about my adopted son anymore. And and then he says something about Harley Quinn, right? So <laughs> He's like Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn died in his arms and that the last thing that he that she uh, told him was make sure you kill the Joker in the worst way possible or something like that. Uh, Do we really need that? Yeah, I mean, we everybody loves seeing Joker and Batman interact. But once again, that that scene was filmed so awkwardly. There was no two shots. It was like a close up side profile of both of the guys, faces cutting back and forth like that. 
and it just looks so laughable, fake, laughable. I it was it was it took it was atrocious. It was atrocious. It didn't need to be there. And then it got it got it got ended by uh, Superman in his red and blue costume flying down and landing. Like what? Why is he wearing red red and blue again? Like wouldn't it make sense for him to wear black there? <laughs> now that he's, you know, working with Darkseid and killing everybody, like I I don't get it. This is very in, injustice, which I love injustice. I love the plot of it. I would love to see an injustice style movie, but these scenes just make it comical. They it makes it laughable. It's not cool. It doesn't make these characters look badass. It just looks ridiculous. And you know, I I know Snyder filmed this as fan service as a thank you to the fans for making this cut, you know, something that was brought to light because he had no power to do it. It was literally the fans and their outrage and the, you know, cancel culture that really brought this out. And um I know he filmed this scene for them, but that was a horrible scene. It was a really bad scene. I that's the thing with Justice League, the Snyder cut. There's good stuff here. Like I'll be the first one to tell you there's good stuff here. It's just there's not enough. And that's really ironic because it's four fucking hours long. Fundamentally, there's not enough to make it good. Um, it's not concise. It's not clean. Dialogue isn't good. Story plotting is not good. None of it is good. However, there's little bits and pieces of geekiness in here that seeing it on screen, because we've seen it in comics for years now, decades, and seeing some of these things come to life with real good actors, it, it, something it's special. It, it, it makes your heart warm a little bit, just a little bit. And I think... I think this was a closer attempt, you know, than than the 2017 cut. But we really need something better. We really need a good, good Justice League movie. And I really hope that, I really hope that DC gets this right. You know, they're they're really trying now, and they they have improved since Justice League. Shazam was in a bad movie. Um, you know, Birds of Prey, um, Suicide Squad, I guess, was even okay. You know, they they Aquaman was great. By the way, Aquaman was uh, probably, in my opinion, my favorite DC film um, as of right now. And so they're they're starting to get a little better. It's just we really do want a really good Justice League movie. So I don't know if they're going to reboot it. I don't know if they're going to try to continue with Justice League Two. Apparently, this Snyder cut's not even canon. The seventeen one is still the canon. And so all those silly scenes, all those things that I critiqued about it, it's still canon right now. And um, I don't know what to tell you. The whole thing's messy right now. Because what if you do part two now, Darkseid was already introduced. The whole audience watching now with this HBO Max stuff, we already saw Darkseid. Now where you're going to reintroduce Darkseid, like we don't know him. And it just doesn't work, right? You can't say the 17 one is canyon. So they have to completely abandon this. Uh, it's it's really sad. Like, what are they going to do? They're going to make a Wonder Woman 3 now. There's no more Justice League team-ups. They can't. How are they going to continue this? So, it's really sad. It's really sad. And seeing this back-to-back, it just makes me feel like politics get in the way and, you know, egos get in the way. And we as fans, we just we just want content. We just want good content. You know, we just want what we love. 
being portrayed on screen. And that's not an easy thing to do. Not an easy thing to do. Well, that about does it for my special, special Ion edition of Inquire and Geek Shit. Always great talking about comic book stuff, geeky comic book stuff. Oh, one last thing. Flash. He actually has uh, heroic tendencies. Oh, wow. I am so incoherent. <laughs> Before I leave, I, I owe it to the Flash. He was useless in the 17 cut. He was just the Batman Batman telling him, if you're scared, go save somebody. Just go run, pick up somebody, take them outside. Same thing in Russia. He did the same thing in Russia. He just ran out there. Batman's like, go, go save that guy. Save, save those Russians in the, in the van. He actually had a storyline. He actually had a, he actually had a purpose in the plan. So he was running around in circles outside, generating enough energy for Cyborg to be able to separate the mother boxes. So he was essential to the plan. And he actually turned back time because Justice League actually died. They, they lost. And if it wasn't for Flash running past the speed of light to turn back the clock, they would have lost. So Flash was definitely more of a hero and more of a more of a guy with a purpose on the team than just uh, the people mover, which he was in the 2017 film. Not saying that he doesn't do that, because even in the uh, Justice League Unlimited and stuff like that, he's that's his job. But uh, he had a lot more purpose here. So uh, I do give um, Zack Snyder a lot of props there for uh, utilizing the Flash. So he, he does utilize the team a lot better. But anyway, I'm Ion. Thank you guys so much for watching. Be sure to hit that follow and subscribe button for all uh, these awesome episodes of Inquiry and Geek Shit wherever you listen to your podcast. And also wherever you go on your social media, Sari and I will be uh, around always. So follow us there at iGeekShit. We are iGeekShit everywhere. So Sari will be back with me on our next episode of Incoherent Geek Shit in two weeks. I'll see you then.